Well, maybe it's like Casey says. Fella ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then... Then what, Doc? Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere. Wherever you can look. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy. I'll be there. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. I don't understand it, though. Me neither, Mom. Just something I've been thinking about. You're listening to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. From sports to gardening, from good food with close friends, to great music and movies. Provided by your hosts, Justin Ackerman, the millennial, Cody Stoffer, the reluctant Gen Xer, and Craig Morton, the token baby boomer. These guys are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but they will be entirely by accident. Hello, this is Crash Test Craig. The musical selections for today's podcast are from my new rehab workout playlist. That's right, rehabilitation. I've been dealing with the results of a crash test in which I ran so fast that my hamstrings couldn't keep up. You can see the pictures on the All That's Holy Blue Collar podcast Facebook page. My rehab playlist is filled with songs about falling down and getting back up again. We'll hear Rise Up from Andre Day, Dark Horses from Switchfoot, Watch the Walls Melt Down by Maris Yahoo, and I'm Good from Trip Lee, even though I am not yet good. I'm working on it. In this podcast, we also have a new voice, Lisa Ann Stoffer, who joins Cody and me at the Bread of Life Deli in Meridian, Idaho, where she will reveal her true feelings about fantasy football. Cody provides us with another great interview, this time with Dr. Monica Coleman about her latest book, Bipolar Faith. The full version of the interview is available at the All That's Holy Blue Collar podcast page at themissionplace.org. You will want to listen to this whole remarkable conversation. So enjoy the podcast and let us know how you like it on our Facebook page. One question I do have. Is that the only shirt you have? Okay, because I've only seen you before in photos on Facebook, and that's the shirt you that were wearing. That is true, that is true. So I just was just checking. No, I didn't I do that for change. No, 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 that's okay. I, just, I was just thinking about that, wondering if maybe you stepped too heavily into debt when you got that car. That could be it. We are, yeah. So we cut our clothes, clothing budget. Way it was funny because yeah, I've, 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 I've never met you, but it was like, wait. <laughs> that is funny. This yeah. is the fifth when, time I've seen you in this shirt. When you came back in, I went, I know that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's pretty funny. Okay. So, you so see, we, we have a recommendation. Did you see that? That we should always share first who, who we who's are. talking. Right. Or at least address one another once in a while. Yeah. Hey, Cody. What do you think? <laughs> yes. Crash test, Craig. Yeah. 
So we want to talk about my crash test. Yeah. So t- tell us what happened to your leg, Craig. When are you? When are you recording? I'm recording right oh, now. Oh, okay. We'll keep that in. <laughs> so I am a sprinter. Yep. My wife doesn't want me to be. Mm-hmm. In fact, she said I should hang up my cleats, my spikes, for good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, on on Thursday night, I was running with the old guys in the masters division, which is people my age. I, there was a 65 year old guy. Then there was a 30-year-old guy and a 19-year-old guy. This is my age group. That's the age group, 19, 19 to 65? 19 and up. 19 and up. Wow. So, That's not fair. Well, yeah, I was kind of excited because at first it was just me against a 65-year-old. I thought, this is going to be good. This. I got I this. Got I got this. this, yeah. And then uh, this other guy shows up from a, who I'd raced against before. And uh, I was only, oh, about a second behind him last time. But I was much improved. <clears throat> And he just run the hurdles in a terrible fashion. So I figured, he's tired, he's sore, I've got this guy. Your mental edge, because maybe I, you didn't think I, you did so good? It's, I, 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 was, I was talking to myself, going, this is going to be all right. So a 65-year-old, a beat-up 30-year-old, and then along walks a 19-year-old <laughs> who's been out of high school for one year, who's training to run at uh, University of Idaho. Oh, man. It's like, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not fair. So him, I just I just wrote it off. Okay, I'm going to get second place. Second is first. Second so, is first. Second is first last, <laughs> I think it is. No, no, <laughs> not, you can't think that way. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so getting in the blocks, everything feels good. Uh, starters there, set, get up in the set. And I love the feeling of being in the set because all of a sudden you got to stare at the track. You can't look down the track. Got to be in good, good form, and you're just kind of anxiously waiting for the sound of the gun. I just love that feeling. It's 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 almost a little bit like Christmas, waiting for to open up presents mm, yeah. on Christmas morning as a kid. But sometimes it seems to take so long. As soon as you begin to get impatient, because it's taking too long, that's when the gun goes. And so you got to be ready. Yep. I love that feeling. Anyway, so. So the gun goes off, get a great start, uh, stay low, just kind of a good explosive start, go through my transition phase, so at about 20, 25 yards, I'm coming up into a full stride. So I'm fully into the, out of the, the transition phase, and now I'm at about 50 yards, and all of a sudden it feels like somebody took a club and drove it directly into the muscle of my left hamstring. Oh, man. And at that point, I realized it's really hard to slow down when you've only got one good leg. So you keep running, and with each step, it hurts a little more and a little right. more. Um, and then all I could do was hop, 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 hop. Yep. But I did hop across the uh, finish line. What place? Uh, fifth that, place. With an injury. With Not an bad. injury. So I even got a medal. Hey, hey right on. So I was, I was, I was pretty dissatisfied yeah and I was trying to get in shape for the August 6th uh, race but that's not going to happen not going to happen now not so happen. done for the year done for the year uh, hanging nothing up the in the fall uh, winter track you are hanging up the spikes for the fall oh, oh, oh winter, okay. winter track comes around indoor track season okay and not only that but I'm also going to learn pole vault this year <laughs> that's what I've decided Nice. I applaud. uh, So next year, I'm going to try decathlon. I applaud that. And the only thing I need to pick up really is is how to do the pole vault. Yeah, (laughs) that's it. I mean, that's all I I, got. I I can I can throw a javelin. Sure. Not very well, but But you know you know how to do it. And I don't kill anybody. So 
Success. I, I think that was a win. So next next year, decathlon. Now. Oh, wait, wait. You say you're going to do the decathlon? Next year. Oh, man, awesome. But the pole vault is part of that. So that's, gotta... that's one of the parts, yeah. Okay. So in the decathlon, you don't have to do well in each thing. You just have to make a valid Good attempt. enough. That's right. So, Qualified. And each uh, thing. So if you get a zero, that's fine, but you got to get at least a zero. And you can't skip it. you got to try it. Right. So If you skip it, what is that? You're out. You don't. You, okay. don't quali- you can't qualify as a finisher. Okay. And so you so have to do all ten events. You have to, do all ten, okay. you have to make a valid attempt. And I'm thinking that as a, at, at pole vault... That's the one that's most dangerous because if you right. make a valid attempt with no skill, you can kill yourself. Oh yeah, and I don't want to do that yet. <laughs> yeah, you're not ready for that. No, I already. I I'll kill a limb, but not, not the whole body. Oh so. man. The pole. So where are you going to learn the pole vault at? At, at the high school. With, okay. With the pole vaulting with coach. The coach there. Okay. Yeah. Is he, he good? Is he good he, at what he does? He is good. Okay. But the other thing that I haven't thought of looking into is we actually have. Uh, through the through our high school connections with a world champion pole vaulter sweet a number of times she's held the national international records oh yeah and what's her name two time gold medalist in the Olympics yeah as it Dragila yeah Stacy Dragila yeah. lives in Meridian so yeah so yeah. I think she went to ISU. When, That's right. Yeah. And so I, I haven't quite uh, had the nerve to ask her to help me out yet. That'd be awesome. But, yeah, uh, she, she would show you how to. That's done. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if she would stoop to my level. <laughs> oh, uh, she would be able to help you out. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of amazing how many world-level competitors have had some attachment to Boise. Oh, to we do. This yeah. area. That's yeah. a lot. There's quite a few. Yeah. And, uh, a cyclist. I, uh, what's what's her name? The uh, uh, Kristen Armstrong. Yeah, that's right. Kristen and then, then uh, uh, Simmons. Yeah. Mike Simmons. Mm-hmm. And up-and-coming uh, Sligowski, kid from Rocky Mountain. Man, who's awesome. uh, uh, National, what, I think he's the third best mile runner in the United wow. States. That's, that's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, so, and, and the, the uh, U.S., Record holder in the 800 for high school. Awesome! And there you go. Amazing, That's cool. amazing how he? he just graduated, so he'll be. So he'll be in your masters. <laughs> he'll be. Well, yes, right. I can run against Legowski. Yeah, yeah. But he's going to be running at Penn State this year. Okay. So, That's cool. So he'll be. I won't have to compete against him directly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's nice to know that you're in that same level, though. With Legowski? Yeah, you're in the <laughs> masters. Class. That's right. I don't know if he's had his 19th birthday yet. So he's, so, so he, he have to be 19. He, he may not yet be a master. All right, all right. He has not yet attained my level. <laughs> that's a good uh, way to think about it. Yeah, it's not the other way around. That's right. No, he is coming up to your level. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Who cares if he's set records and is the third fastest miler? All that doesn't matter. He's not a master. Not yet. <laughs> a master, that's kind of a Jedi kind of name. Right. So. Yeah, it's but it's not too Jedi to just kind of collapse on the track. So <laughs> the you did not have the force with you that day. Yeah, or I just had too much. That's just there too you much. Go. It was just exploded it was, out of your body. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's similar to the experience that Elijah had when the fiery chariot came and took him away. That's what that's what it felt. Like. I think that's probably what it was, and I just <laughs> just didn't step on the chariot. Didn't you just opted to stay off the chariot? Yeah, okay. but I think it was something like that. Okay, well. Maybe we should tell people where we're at, too, today. Oh, hey, by the way. By yes. the way, this is our first live recording On together. site. On site at Bread of Life Deli. So we interviewed uh, um, Cameron. Cameron McGowan about two episodes ago, mm-hmm. our second episode. Yep. And uh, now we've decided to crash this place. Crash the place. And uh, hang out here while we talk to each other. And they're 
So you hear there's some clatter. They're getting ready for lunch service here. And uh, I think they've already served one customer. We could be another. We will be pretty soon. My and friends so, can meet me here pretty soon. And so, um, do you want to say anything about uh, your your great um, trip you're, you're on? Going, so the reason we're recording live here for the first time together is because my wife and I are on our 10-year anniversary vacation. And that includes a stop here in Napa. Well, wait, wait, we're not here in Napa. Meridian, Meridian. That's right. Sorry, okay. make sure. <laughs> Got to have that distinction. Well, Meridian. I'll, well, since we said bread of life, that's we right. want to oh, be yeah, looking for the right... Bread uh, of life yeah. in Meridian. So we're here in Meridian with Crash Test Craig at Bread of Life Deli. But after this, we're going to go to Salt Lake City, hang out for the night. On to Grand Junction, hang out for the night there. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, every night, Avert Brothers concerts at Red Rock Amphitheater in Morrison, Colorado. So have you told the Avert Brothers what you're doing? Wouldn't they like... Yeah. So have you told the brothers what you're doing? Well, you know, we've hashtagged and linked and yeah. tagged. So tweeted. tweeted. We, they're not, so we've made attempts. They're not noticing. Not right. yet. Although, I should well, just, tell you, just, I should tell you this. This is awesome. This is pretty cool. One of the members of the Ava Brothers, not one of the brothers himself, but actually Bob Crawford, he's one of the founding members, but he's not an Ava Brother. He's the bass player. And how, upright. How can you be a founding brother, of brother and brothers. not a brother? I mean, you get a member I know of the founding. He's an honorary Ava Brother. He's a brother by another mother. There you go. Right. A brother from another mother. So Bob, the bass player, he, on the, last night in Nampa at the Idaho Center, because that's the first concert we went to, he was on our side of the stage, and he was, you know, intermittently throughout the night kind of tossing out guitar, you know, his pick. And uh, at the end of the show, they'd already come out and done their encore, he was standing there, and Bob Crawford has a podcast, a really good podcast. Oh, really? Yes. So what he's done, because they go to all these stops, you know, right. they go Portland, Lexington, Kentucky, Kent, Washington, they're all over the place. He is really big into history. And so at each of those spots, he interviews a uh, expert in history, either of the area or something major. So he'll do a professor or somebody's written a book about, say, Portland history or something like that. So at each spot, he interviews somebody. So it's a good interview. It's a good podcast. So the applause started to kind of die down, and they were getting ready to leave. And I yelled, Bob, I love your podcast! <laughs> and he stopped and goes, you know, said thank you. That means, you know, that means a lot to me. So he walked over and grabbed another guitar pick and came right over and, like, right. kind of flicked it right at me. To so, so. so you're going to be at Red Rocks for three concerts. Mm-hmm. What are you going to yell? <laughs> to get more to, at, at the end of the you know when you have an well when you have an opportunity <laughs> are you going to say I love your podcast again um, maybe I'll say this Bob still love the podcast episode eleven and <laughs> <laughs> no I won't do that I just I think that'd be a great way to um, and then by the third night he'll he'll probably just say let's get together which tried to be on my podcast so I actually when I learned he had a podcast I'm like. Maybe we should have him as a guest. I'm going to try to write him. And, uh, oh, oh say, just, yeah. just yell an invitation. <laughs> Be on our podcast, Bob. Yeah, he'll totally go for it that way. I think it'll work. Actually, I think we might be able to because he has a partner who does it with him. And he's a lot less in the limelight than you know this guy happens to be. Actually, Bob, of all the Avery brothers, is a lot less in the limelight. You know, he's the bass well, player. That, so. Well, a bass player is usually ignored. <laughs> right. But, so I think it can happen if we... 
If we ask Bob if he wants to be on our show, I bet he would do it. That'd be fun. I'm going to try. I would try hard. All right. So you've got how many more nights to get that done? Uh, four uh, nights? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. It won't happen tomorrow night or the no. next night. No, so, no, no. All right. So by the end of the week, we'll know. Okay. Let's do, uh, yeah. That's my goal. We'll get it done. Crash test, Craig. And I uh, have I have a lot of things I could confess. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I know. What one is you know creating um, you know misunderstandings about the quality of fantasy football, but that's <laughs> that's not what I'm really thinking about now. But I struggle with perfectionism, mm. and I can find a variety of different ways to slow myself down with getting things accomplished because I don't really think of myself as a protagonist. I mean, a protagonist? <laughs> yeah. Ah. A procrastinator. Thank you. A pro- uh, yeah, I am, I am the protagonist in my own life and, right. the, and the antagonist, I guess. But um, No, but to procrastinate means you know, putting off a thing. Right. And I get things in order. Mm-hmm. And I'm very orderly, very organized, and I place everything in proper sequence. So when it's time to get started, I can just go right on through right. to completion. So far, this sounds like good stuff. But what happens is... Getting all those pieces together, I can always think of one more piece I should have in there mm. before I start. Right. And it's not like I'm putting off the deadline. I'm putting off the start. Right. Because you want it to be perfect. I want it to be perfect. Mm. And and there's some areas in life where I've learned to control that. And and that's you know things like. Uh, Hanging out with friends. Uh, hey, what do you want to watch on TV? Or even when it comes to cooking, I'll throw together whatever I've got and right. make something happen. Yep. Um, it used to be by Thursdays, the kids would be worried because of all the leftovers left already. They would know that would show up in a Thursday stew. Oh, yeah. But hey, it, 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 I could it. throw it all together. Mm-hmm. But when it's something important, like right now working on my dissertation, or every month when I got to pay bills on time, where all of those bits and pieces, I can think of a number of things that need to, I think need to take place mm-hmm. before I can get started to make a, a successful completion. Wow. And sometimes I just need to jump in. Just do it. And, and just do it. Nike. And Yeah, just do it. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, every once in a while it comes into a, it really backfires. Uh, we, we just recently got a late notice on a, on, a, on a payment because I was waiting for certain things to come together to sit down and pay bills. Mm. I should have paid it sooner. Should have just done it. And right. little things like that happen too frequently, not because I'm doing something incorrectly. It's because I'm not starting it. Right. Not thinking about the ending, but actually jumping in at the beginning. Mm. And... And sometimes putting all the pieces together, making sure it's all there perfectly before I can get started, keeps me from getting started at all. Right. And and I, I don't really want to do that. Yeah. When I was uh, graduating from high school, 
the pastor of the church that I was at actually gave me a solid piece of advice that I've kind of kept pretty much my whole life. Now, I'm not, uh, I am a procrastinator. Not are, because I'm a, but are you a perfectionist? But I'm not because I'm a perfectionist. Uh, okay. <laughs> but this still rings true with me, I think. And I don't know if it'll help you, but maybe it'll help somebody listening. But he told me anything worth doing is worth is doing. Worth, is, the old saying is worth doing well. But he's, this is how he said it to me. Anything worth doing is worth doing. Period. Meaning, and, and his advice for me was for the college setting, because he goes, you're going to be writing a paper, and it's going to be due soon, and if you, and, and I do care about my writing quite a bit, and, he, and you'll say to yourself, this isn't good enough, this isn't right enough, but the truth of the matter is, the goal is, do it. Get it done, because if you hand it in late because you were trying to be perfect, you're going to get the same grade anyway that you were going to get handing it in on time. Or maybe even worse of a grade. You never know. So anything worth doing is worth doing. And I've thought ever since then, you know, I only applied it essentially to homework. You know, do it, get it done, do the class things that you got to do. Um, but even ever since then, I've thought, that's good advice for a lot of things. Like uh, Anne Lamont, you know, talks about yeah. with writing. <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes you've got to get that. She uses different words, but I'll use the word crappy. You, use, you get that crappy, crappy first draft. draft. Yep. Get it done. Put it on paper. Just do it. Yep. It's not going to be perfect. I, I, it's not going to be right. I do have a folder right. of writing called the SFD. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So, yep. so you know. You've heard that, yeah, that yeah. advice. And I think that is a good thing for a lot of things. You know, just if it's worth doing, it's worth doing. I think, I think, the, I think the thing that causes my engine to seize mm-hmm. is thinking how important it is to do it right. 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 And, and that thing about... I just had the conversation with my son about getting an English assignment submitted. Yep. I said, how much? How many points will you lose if you get it in late? Right. Well, how many points do you think you'll miss if you turn it in on time right. but not, not very good? Not, right. You know, what's what's the mathematical Way difference? Right. And, uh, and sometimes that's that's true. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think for me that. it's keeping things in perspective. Right. You know, what, what is really important mm-hmm. and what, what is that grade differential? Right. Because, yeah, there are some things... Pour that perfectionism into it because yeah. it's worth it. There's some things like paying your bills. Just do it, you know. Just get it done. Just do it. Yeah. So <laughs> I have to I, tell you, like I, I, these things. I appreciate the word of wisdom because <laughs> I mean it reminds me of a Garrison Keillor talk. Yeah. Where he talks about enough. Mm. You know, something that's good enough is good enough. Exactly. Uh, it, that it's, if it's good enough, it's good enough. That's right. I think it, I don't know if it was that same talk, but another author. Um, maybe it was Brenda Yulin. She said, you know, you're going to be holding this thing back because for you, it's not right enough. It's not perfect enough. And I think her words are essentially like, how dare you withhold that from someone else who it doesn't matter if it's perfect for you. It might be just right for them. You know, that yeah, might be yeah. good enough yeah. for them. You know, that's good. Yeah. So, Craig, with those things, those words of wisdoms, I absolve you of your guilt. Thank you. Thank you. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter. But I see it in you, so we're going to walk it out. Move mountains. We gon' walk it out and move 
Dr. Coleman, your new book, Bipolar, Bipolar Faith, has just come out. Uh, it was mm-hmm. released by Fortress Press. Um, before we get talking about right. your book, could we get a little quick biography for some of our listeners? Um, sure. My name is Monica A. Coleman, and I'm a professor of theology and African-American religions at Claremont School of Theology in Southern California. Um, I was raised in the Midwest in uh, Michigan, and I've gone to school at Harvard, at Vanderbilt, and at Claremont Graduate University. Uh, worked a couple places before I came to Claremont, and uh, I'm also an ordained minister in the AME Church, and I feel strongly that my calling is to teach a faith that liberates and talk about the ways in which we can be true to our experiences and have a faith that deepens and nurtures us in those. Absolutely. Now, in your newest book, Bipolar Faith, uh, it's a bit of a memoir, or it is a memoir, of, um, a spiritual memoir, uh, talking about your it is, yes. journey as a black woman with uh, depression and a bi- uh, bipolar mm-hmm. two and faith. Right. Um, could you kind of describe your journey towards a diagnosis of bipolar two? Was it? Did you? When did you know? When did you have a suspicion? And and was it a struggle to get diagnosed? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah, it, it's not. It was not a linear process for me. Mm. It isn't for many people. Bipolar two, in particular, is um, people think it's very largely undiagnosed um, because the manias are not as high, and so people only get help for the depression. Mm. So it's often um, understood or diagnosed, and initially diagnosed as a, just a depression, a unipolar depressive condition. Right. Um, in addition, it really does take seeing somebody over time to see how patterns emerge. And that's difficult when you're going to college or you don't have consistent medical or health care like most people, honestly, in the country. Um, so I think there are, there are challenges for anyone to get diagnosed. Um, for me, I think I associated my depressions with life events rather than hmm. a more um, long-term or clinical diagnosis. Sure. And, I was just going to different counseling services at colleges, like many like college students do, um, so different places in different cities. And so for me, my diagnosis came at particular low points, you know, when I was suicidal and I mm. needed help really badly. Um, I got a not not the bipolar two diagnosis, but one that was really going to at least get me started on taking seriously my condition and um, treating it. And then I was in a lot in a bookstore <laughs> reading a book yeah. and said, mm-hmm. that sounds like me. And I called my psychiatrist and says, you ever thought this might've been me. <laughs> and so like mm-hmm. this, this bipolar two thing, that sounds like, like someone's talking about my life. Oh, wow. um, something was always missing when I read about depression or read about bipolar one. I knew I wasn't bipolar one, um, but I was like, wow, this sounds like who I am. And so that kind of began, really, the journey of getting a more accurate diagnosis. Mm. And that was late in life. I was in my late 20s Okay. by that point. Had there been, what were, um, even younger in your life, were there any indications, let's say in your teenage years or developing years, that perhaps there was something, or did you kind of maybe write it off as like, hey, it's just me growing up, or did other people write it off, you know, it's just part of growing up? Yeah, yes. I mean, I think that it's um, 
hard to tell with teenagers, right? Teenagers are moody and hormonal mm-hmm. right. and um, they're adolescents. And so it, it is probably particularly difficult with adolescents to, um, to say, is this clinical? Is there something really wrong? Uh, I also was raised in the 80s and mm. 90s as a teenager, mainly 80s. And so this was pre-Columbine. And so mm. teachers and counselors weren't looking out for young people's mental health the way they do, I think, nowadays. Um, and so I, I think it was just like, oh, these are responses to grief. You know, yeah, it's grief. Right. This is your your grandmother died or, right. um, you know, situational situations. And I think I came to learn later that some people feel a level of sadness and mine is longer and deeper. Hmm. What is the difference between grief and depression? Are there, does, does grief kind of trigger some of that or is it a whole nother animal completely? Um, yes and no again, right? I mean, I think grief can definitely lead to depression, right? When you're just sad and you don't, and you lose functionality, you're unable to do the things you want to do and need to do in life. And it can happen to anyone, right? You lose a parent, there's a major challenging life event, you move, you lose a partner. Um, those aren't so unusual mm-hmm. in, in that sense. And it's almost normal, right? <laughs> For us to, to be sad and to have to not be okay and to have challenges. There are depressions, though, where there's no reason. Right. You know, there's nothing you can point to. Um, you can't explain it. Nobody can see it. Like, oh, we should come check on you. There's none of that. You just feel bad. Mm. And that's that's different from grief. Speaking of family loss in your book, you do talk about, um, in, in the memoir, you, you talk about your family. And in fact, in the opening chapter, you kind of detail pretty vividly um, accepting the loss of your grandfather. And uh, how does, how, how has your family history, how have you learned more about your fi- family history through your diagnosis? And how has your family history informed your journey dealing with uh, bipolar? Um, I learned about our family history, I guess, the way many people do. You just kind of ask people here and there. <laughs> your cousins ask. You ask elders when you get together for Christmas and other events. You try and pump them for information. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't relate it to my diagnosis at all because they, they didn't come together at the same time. Mm. Uh, I would begin to piece things together like, oh, they always said this. Or maybe these are connections here. Um, it wasn't like, hey, I've been diagnosed with. Do you know anybody with a history right. of mental illness in our family? Like, our family doesn't do that. I don't know yeah. many families right, that right, do right. that. Um, and so, um, it, I mean, these weren't these, like, let's gather some medical background stories. It wasn't like that. Um, it was me kind of trying to piece together. And the more I learned, the more I realized it's really complicated. It's not just brain chemistry. It's not just um, a family situation. It's, um, you know, these really complex ways that race and culture and poverty and mm-hmm. war and right. class all come together and you can't separate them out. Um, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it is actually as messy as it seems and as complicated as it seems. Right. And for me, that was really liberating in some ways to know that it's, it's, it feels complicated because it is complicated. Right. Yeah, in speaking of uh, 
class and race and war, um, you mentioned or your book talks about how those things can actually mask uh, a history of mental illness. Can you talk about that a little bit? How does that happen and um, how do we separate or know or look past those things to see an underlying uh, mental illness history? Um, it's not that I think that they mask mental illness because I, I think, I mean, war creates mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, these are traumatizing events. You know, being mm-hmm. poor is hard. Right. <laughs> you know, not knowing if where you're going to sleep and where you're going to eat or if you can take care of your children. These are real life hard things that are traumatizing and difficult. And so in just like war and slavery and sharecropping, you you go in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And so it's more that thinking about your mental health feels like a privilege in those contexts. Um, And people don't think, oh, should we think about how you're feeling? No, you know, not only is the person in that situation not thinking about it, but more than often than that, other people aren't thinking about it. Um, They're just that just isn't how people are thinking. I mean, particularly the, the wars I'm thinking of are not like Iraq war. I'm thinking World War II, mm-hmm. right? Right, right? So, you know, these wars that my grandparents were in and the effects that had on them and their children. And, or sometimes we see alcoholism or we see drug use and don't think this person is self-medicating really deep mm-hmm. pain. Right. Um, and so I kind of wanted to be able to, not be so hard on um, the way we see some people and think, hey, this is people are just trying to cope. They're trying to understand, and maybe there really is mental health challenges, and this is just how they're dealing right now. Mm, yeah, yeah, and it could be hard in those. Uh, for example, someone who's struggling with poverty. I mean, the day-to-day struggle is just the focus right now. I mean, that's. Where we are, exactly. You know? Yeah, so we don't we don't have time to think about things like mental illness and getting a diagnosis and things like that. Right, and then if you did, where would you get it? Right, right. right. How would you access health care? You know, it's. I try to say in the book, like you know, my I'm just a generation or two out of, hmm. you know, this really desperate kind of poverty. Right. Um, and yet with my parents having good jobs with me going to elite schools, I still couldn't afford my medicine. Mm. And I had to take two buses and go through the county mental health services to get my medicine for $4.33. Reams of paperwork later. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because I didn't have health insurance and it didn't, if I did, there was no generic, right? I mean, and Mm. so, and that's with somebody who was proactive and educated and had worked in social services. Right. right. So if I'm having all of these challenges, this is what it's like. Mm. Wow. Now in your book, you talk a little bit about, and in, in some of your, the press release material talks about the stigma. There, there's a stigma that comes with mental illness that just everyone in general kind of deals with. But for um, a black woman, uh, you mentioned there's some unique stigma in the, particularly in the African American community. Can you talk about those to, to some of us who maybe were outside that community and we don't understand the, the stigma that comes with mental illness in that specific community? Sure, I'd be happy to. I think that for many African Americans, particularly African American women, 
we are held to a standard both within our community and by ourselves that we're supposed to be strong and we're supposed Mm. to be able to have it together uh, and take care of things because we have to or because we want to. And so we see this as a sign of weakness, as an inability to to do what we're supposed to be able to do. Um, I think that's one part of it. Uh, I also think there's this sense that we don't want to let them, whoever they are, mm-hmm. know our weaknesses, to mm-hmm. see us sweat, to know that there are um, areas of an Achilles heel, so to say. Um, and so we don't talk about it. We don't want to be seen as crazy, right? Those mm-hmm. crazy people, those crazy black people, those crazy black women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have all within our minds, sometimes very unconsciously, all the stereotypes and images that come from slavery and that come from oppression, and we don't want to live into those. Right. And is there, have you noticed just since you've become, when did you decide, by the way, to start kind of being more open and honest and sharing this vulnerability um, with others? When when did you make that decision? Um, let me see. 2004-2005. Okay. Um, and, and for me, for me, it's a calling. I, it, it's not a, a decision based on what I thought was best for my career because I didn't think right, it was right, good right. for my career. <laughs> um, like, I make my living off my mind. Let's mm-hmm. go tell people something's wrong with your mind. <laughs> that That is counterintuitive. Um, right. I had mentors tell me, don't do this. Mm. And I felt that I was called to do it and it was important to do. Absolutely. Um, and I was scared, terrified, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> terrified of what people would think about me, of what it would make me look like, of what my how my career was going to unfold. Mm. Um, and I began doing it more in 2010. So, you know, like small steps, like, yeah. oh, I'll write this piece. I'll talk about it here. And mm. Then I said, I just need to walk into this. And I began blogging and writing more. Right. And the response has been affirming. It's been... Um, yeah, me too. I get a, I mean, no one writes in the comment sections of my blog, but I get a lot of personal emails. <laughs> me too, me too, right. me too. I've never heard this experience that, oh, you said it just like I feel it. And that is amazing and rewarding. And I think it really does help to take some of the stigma away, which is yeah. what we're after. Well, and, and, and so that was my next question. How have you noticed that the how, how has the conversation changed? Has it become less taboo for uh, for people to talk about um, in your particular contexts? And uh, and how have people kind of shifted their perspective who aren't necessarily dealing with these mental uh, um, health issues? Um, I hope I hope it's becoming less taboo. You know, if you get on social media, you know there are more and more. Um, people of all races, celebrities, African-American women, women of color, uh, talking about mental health. It's Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, And you can see more people blogging about it, doing short videos. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's the hashtag no shame day um, that just occurred. And it's great. I'm so happy, (laughs) right, that... Um, the you know the silence is breaking and people are really speaking out and saying I'm, I have nothing to be ashamed of because mm. there is nothing to be ashamed exactly. of. 
Um, and for me, it's most rewarding to see the changes in the religious community, to see people um, say, come tell us what we can do to make our church a welcoming place. Awesome. Awesome. What about in the academic world? How? So you mentioned just with your work, the stigma of, okay, there's something wrong with my my mind, and, and you said you had advisors who even told you don't do this because it can be damaging. Has, has it been damaging? Have you noticed any uh, different treatment because you've been out and about, uh, been honest about this, or or is that coming along too? It has not for me, um, but I I am not under the illusion that it's a, it's a safe place. I remember being at institutions, not where I currently am, mm-hmm. where people would say, oh, she just said that because she's bipolar. No, she raised an issue in a faculty meeting because it should be raised, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, and right. so people would blame um, just anything they didn't agree with on, well, you know something's mm-hmm. wrong with her. And mm-hmm. you overhear that, and you're like, well, I'm not going to say anything. Oh, wow. Um, so there there really are these climates where uh, it's it's – they're still it's still punitive, whether it's maybe not documentably so, but it's still a challenge. The attitudes are still there. Um, I've had no negative repercussions. I where I currently work, Claremont School of Theology is an amazing institution um, for students and for faculty, and we have a very strong um, spiritual care and counseling program, a very strong mm-hmm. clinical program. So. And it's gone on for decades. And so we understand, um, you know, what is going on with mental health. And I think that makes a difference. We have a strong chaplaincy program and how we, how we train students and how we understand one another. Mm. So it might be like the best place for you, right? Like uh, as you're walking through the I think it is. Yes, I I think it is. I mean, for so many reasons, it's, mm-hmm. it's a great it's a great place. It's a very good fit for who I am. Awesome. But it's seen as like this is just part of my life. This is part of my ministry. Mm-hmm. This is part of my scholarship, um, not as anything else. Hmm. Speaking of scholarship, how has your theological work been informed by um, this journey, and then vice versa? How's your journey been informed by the theological work that you've undertaken? <laughs> Um, which one first? Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm on this journey while I'm in school, right? While I'm studying uh, in college and graduate school, um, you know, intense suffering will make make you question your faith. I think that's mm-hmm. true for everyone. And so I questioned my faith. I questioned institutional church. I questioned my ministry. I think because I was in school and. I felt like I've got to figure this out. I've got to keep doing this. I didn't feel like leaving was an option. Not that I didn't think about leaving. I was like, what am I going to do? (laughs) I don't have anything else to do. I better figure this out. Um, And so I think I was more persistent in Hmm. figuring it out and looking for churches and finding theological answers than I would have been had I not been studying religion, had I not been preparing for ministry. But also because I was, I knew there were theological options. I knew that there wasn't just one way to be faithful, and if that way didn't work, then everything is bad, which is probably where the average person is. You know what you know from your own faith experience, and you think this is what Christianity is, this is what my religion is, is what you're exposed to. Hmm. But I was learning that there were many different ways of being religious, 
that and even within one tradition and no one's right they're just (laughs) different and so I was able to learn about different kinds of beliefs different ways of believing different ways of understanding who God is in the face of suffering different ways that um, other scholars and other people throughout history have wrestled with Mm -hmm. their own suffering in front of God and those shaped my experiences saying, oh, look at how the psalmist does this. Look at how Elie Wiesel does this. Look at how Mm. process thinkers do this. So I knew that I was standing in this tradition. Look at how the spirituals do this, right? (laughs) That Mm -hmm. um, I was standing within a tradition of people who wrestle with this, and they still find their way out faithfully. Um, so that was really, that, that made it okay for me. Um, and it really kind of goaded me to continue to learn more and more about this faith that I found to be liberating so I could teach it. Mm. As someone who does theological work now, um, it, this is, you know, what I write about and what I teach is what I believe. Mm, right. <laughs> and it's what I preach. And so, in many ways, it's easy because this is the faith that upholds me. Right. I just happen to know all the history and philosophy behind mm-hmm. it, too. Right. And uh, it it also pushes me in new ways. It pushes me as I think, look at my own experiences or the experience of others who find healing and resonance in multiple religious traditions or across religious traditions. I want to learn more about, well, how does that mm. work? And, let me read about that and let me teach about that. This is interesting. Uh, I've read more about disability theology because mm. I think of mental health challenges as a condition that's sometimes disabling. And mm. so I've been like, oh, how can I contribute to this? How are, where are there similarities with existing disability theology? Where are there differences? Is this considered an invisible disability? Mm. And I've been in really great and rich conversations with my colleagues uh, who do religion and disability. And that's, I learn so much doing that. And I grow so much doing mm. that, that it, it, it all feeds into the work that I'm doing. In the past, you've written a book called Not Alone. That's kind of a, a book of devotional um, for people who are experiencing um, this type of uh, mental illness, and maybe also for other people who are connected to people who have that. How is yes. how is um, bipolar faith different from not alone? What's what's different between the two books? Oh, it's, that's a great question. Um, I like devotionals, and hmm. it was hard for me to find one right. <laughs> uh, that I thought kept it real, that was hmm. honest about how we feel about God. Um, there weren't devotionals about depression at all, right, right. but these devotionals are written by these people who have much holier lives than me. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> you know, they, they read the Bible, they believe it, they come away motivated. Well, good for you. Um, <laughs> and that's not my experience. I wanted to be like, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You know what? Waiting sucks. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I I said that, you know, I, it's it's 40 days. I kind of imagined it for a season like Lent or for Ordinary Time or even mm-hmm. for Advent um, as, you know, to both kind of rant and rail a little bit with the tradition, wrestle with the tradition and say it's okay to be like, waiting is not fun. I don't feel like right. I'm mounting on wings. I'm not soaring like eagles. Right. Um, I'm impatient. <laughs> and, <laughs> 
that's that's part of the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bipolar faith is a memoir. It's my story. It's, mm-hmm. I don't step back and give theological reflection. Um, there aren't questions to meditate on. Like there are in right. alone. Like they're reflection questions. Um, and people ask for my story, and I don't. I, I hadn't got. I hadn't given it. I had never as much activism as I have done as a activist against sexual violence. I never told the story of my rape. Mm. Um, I don't, I hadn't told the story of my family. Almost all of my friends and family who read it are learning something about me. <laughs> there are things I just never talked about. Right. And so this is, it's a memoir, but I do also try to situate it in this larger context of, um, American history of African American history of religion of um, but like kind of black church religion evangelical Christianity what it means to get an education what it means to think you're a minister um, right you know I try and kind of put them in these and have these larger conversations at the same time about this is my story but this is our story of working with healthcare and your families and the context that you're in and your friendships and your relationships. Hmm. Okay. Um, Speaking of spirituality, you do mention a kind of rituals that help you. um, And you highlight a few of those. What are, what are some of the rituals that have helped you when you are feeling the oncoming of the lows of bipolar two? It's, you know, I, I periscope about this, you know, because yeah. people ask me this all the time. Mm-hmm. What are my spiritual practices? Um, and some of them are things that make sense. Like I try to eat right. Not yeah. that I do it all the time, but I try. <laughs> <laughs> and I try to exercise every day. Um, and I try to get enough sleep, right? Mm, and so right. part of this, are, these are things that doctors tell you to do. Right. Um, but... For me, they're also um, how to say it's they're they're spiritual practices, mm-hmm. right? There are they're disciplines, they're things I have to do even when I don't feel like doing it. Mm. And I acknowledge that God is in them. I believe that there is holiness in them. Mm. Um, in in kind of doing these things over and over again, even when it's not fun, mm-hmm. right? even when it's not sexy, even when I don't feel the power. <laughs> Right. That these are kind of part of what weaves me together. Sometimes ordering takeout because you can't do it all and right. offering myself great. <laughs> like that is a spiritual practice. Right. Is to say, you know, you can't cook gourmet every night. It's okay. Order pizza. <laughs> right. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions that we ask every guest on the podcast. Um, and those That's questions, right. they're kind of like our closing questions. So the first question is, what are you drinking? <laughs> what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? And if I came to visit you where you live, where would you take us to eat? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll start uh, you can go with, back to the first one. What yep. am I, what what are you am drink- I drinking? What are you drinking? What's your like, go-to drink? Okay, there you go. <laughs> room temperature water, no ice, no lemon, just water. <laughs> room temperature, whoa, why? Um, most vegans like their water room temperature. Really? It, it just makes it fast, faster to digest. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. If you go to, yeah. Interesting. Um, I just and I don't like it cold. 
<laughs> I do have sensitive teeth, so, so I think that'd be my thing, but I like cold water. Yeah, just that's what I'm drinking. I'm drinking water. All right. So what uh, are you reading? Read? Oh, you know, I have a Curious George. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I am reading a lot of Curious George right now. Wow, um, cool. My, my daughter is almost four, and so we read Curious George every day. That's good stuff right there. Curious George and blank. Yeah. And has the she, bunnies and the she, zoo. And <laughs> right, right. <laughs> has she seen any of the uh, movies? A little bit, but she's um, she likes. We have a lot of books, you know. Both of her parents are writers and mm-hmm. professors, so there's lots of books around. <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, so, what are you watching? Like, if you were uh, streaming on Netflix or Hulu or just a favorite <laughs> series or anything like Which that? Which I totally do. Yeah. Oh, uh, this is embarrassing because my <laughs> entertainment quotient is quality is it's low. I don't have my <laughs> Uh, let me just go to Hulu now and I can tell you. Uh, I mean, normally, you know, it's like Shondaland, right? Okay. Um, I'm watching Scandal and yeah. Grey's Anatomy yeah, and yeah, yeah. How to Get Away with Murder. Nice. Summer, though, with the lean offerings mm-hmm. um, <laughs> of the summer, I have uh, I've been binge watching stuff I missed, like Being mm. Mary Jane. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Which I just finished binge watching. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. Oh, I've been watching Unreal. Oh my gosh, it's scandalous. Unreal. Yeah, Unreal. Unreal. I, yeah. I don't know that one really. It's it's on it's on Lifetime. It's kind of like the scandalous behind the scenes oh. of shows like The Bachelor. Oh, oh. it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> just and a guilty pleasure. Exactly. <laughs> gotta have those. Gotta have those. And what are you listening to? Either new music or podcasts or anything like that. Um, well, I listen to music when I cycle every day, and I cycle okay. on a bike trail, so I'm not out there with traffic. And I listen to a lot of old school hip hop, right. <laughs> and so I like like LL Cool J. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, actually, that's what I listen to. <laughs> I have just old school hip hop, New Jack Swing sound. Love it, love it. Okay, that's cool. And then if I come to visit, where are you taking a seat? What's your go-to eat-out place? I'm like, I'm like, go there now. It's called yeah. Sage Vegan Bistro. It's in, right. uh, it's in Culver City. Mm. Um, you know, the whole menu is vegan, mm. <laughs> so I can eat off the whole menu. Much of it is gluten-free and soy-free mm. and corn-free, which I am too. Mm. And uh, probably shameless plug for them. They have this Brazilian burrito that my mm-hmm. meat-eater friends are like, no. I'm like, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. Trust me. <laughs> And they do, and I could I eat a number of things off the menu, but it's awesome. it's a winner. Oh, cool. Um, and so yeah, and I have I'm on this buffalo cauliflower kick right now. Ooh, that sounds good. Where people like fry or roast cauliflower yeah. and then put it in this buffalo hot wing sauce. Yeah, and nice. It's so good, oh, and they give you this good. vegan ranch. Yep. And I don't know how to make it, so I gotta <laughs> eat it. Gotta order it. I can. There are three or four different restaurants around that have it, and I, I've just been eating a lot of it. It's crazy. <laughs> awesome. And then uh, finally, uh, where can people kind of follow along with your journey and uh, keep up your blog, your website, and things like that? Yes, my website's monicaacoleman.com. You can also go to bipolarfaith.com. 
And uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Monica A. Coleman. Excellent. Instagram at Rev Doctor, Rev Dr. Monica. Mm-hmm. And on Facebook, Rev Dr. Monica. And if you are interested in vegan cooking yeah. and um, some of my, my my nerdy cooking collection, I'm on Pinterest as Rev Monica. Awesome. So that's where, and you know, how I decorate my kids' rooms and (laughs) try and organize a small kitchen space. uh, I love it. That's where I kind of get my domestic on. I love Pinterest. I I really do. Yeah. I like it because I can get, I mean, you can get everything. get people's book recommendations. You can get uh, movies to watch. That's there too. There are recommendations on there. I have my writer friends on there. There's actually fun, you know, like kind of smarty stuff too. Yeah. But I also, that's definitely where you get to see what I actually, like, this is what I eat. (laughs) This is what my, you know, this is how I'm figuring out how to put the towels in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I I recently started uh, bullet journaling. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but uh, I started doing that recently. And, now, what, uh, is, what is bullet journaling? Well, it's kind of like a, it's a way of uh, basically doing your um, scheduling and day-to-day tasks that's kind of more analog on paper than it is digital. And it uses like graph paper and things like that to kind of make it happen. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's funny because I've gone back to these little notebooks, right? People with mm-hmm. little moleskin notebooks with exactly. a little rubber band around them. Yep. Man, I'm like, I just got to write stuff down. Like somehow I've just got to write it down and try and get stuff done. Exactly. Because <laughs> it's the genius of it is it, it's not never going to go out of style because it's right there. It's so quick. You just grab it and you do it. Whereas with uh, electronic stuff. It ends up checking off. I can see myself exactly, checking off. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So it gives that sense of accomplishment. <laughs> right. Yep. So bullet journaling has helped me a lot because I, uh, I need that. I need the see it boom right in my face and it's just quick brief bullets of here's what you do and it's called journaling because you put it in each day and you can reflect a little bit but it's just brief just real quick brief reflections on what you did um and so yeah and then later you can of course um digest more in other journals but the bullet journal the the beauty of it is just boom quick get it down and uh, get it done yeah so it's pretty cool Oh, that sounds great. Um, right, well, yeah, my parents keep saying, are you journaling all these times with your child? I'm like, are you kidding? I'm just going to survive. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> yep. Well, anyway, so I, I, I'll let you go, and I want to say thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be interviewed. I've loved it. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation. Shake the brother, but you never knock me down and take the under. Bring the thunder. Let the storms come down behind us and hurt us. They can't take our Lord from us, bro. We gotta subvert it. Not guilty, not guilty. He's with us and he stays present. He never leaves me. He even gives me stage presence. I know you know I'm good to go. Pressure creates diamonds and fire if I go. Ain't nothing on this planet to satisfy my soul. I'm living for tomorrow. Today is out of control. For sure. I'm good. Take out my money. I'm
right, so I do have some stuff I need to be, I'm very thankful for. We're here at the Bread of Life Deli. We're about to share some food together with some good friends. And over here, sitting on my left, is my wife. And we are celebrating our 10-year anniversary together with this trip. And I am so incredibly grateful for my wife and the 10 years that we've had together. And uh, I'm in this Bread of Life Deli here, it's all about, you know, the food. Take it if you pay, if you can. And it kind of reminds me a lot of my wife and just this incredible grace that she has for me. It's free and the love that she has for me. I don't feel like I have to earn it, but there are times I feel like I am so in debt to her and uh, the incredible person that she is. I don't deserve her. Definitely do not deserve her. And so we're taking this trip. I tried to surprise her with it, but you have to understand she's a huge Ava Brothers fan. So I was in my mind trying to sneakily get these tickets, and she's, hey man, we need to go to this concert. And da -da. So she was already ahead of me and way ahead. So I had to break it to her. I'm on their email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had to break it to her. Yeah, okay, this was going to be my surprise anniversary gift to her. And of course it grew because I was thinking one concert, one night, one day would be a great experience. But somehow she convinced me to go the whole <laughs> the whole time. It wasn't too hard. It wasn't too hard to twist my arm to do it. But we, we did. And I couldn't think of a better way to spend our 10 year anniversary together than to be on the road with no kids for a while because grandma and grandpa or nana and papa as we call them are taking them for a while. So I'm incredibly grateful for them for doing that for us. Um, but to be able to be together and on the road, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. I'm excited for just being able to have some fun together. So I'm very grateful for that and very grateful for 16 years together, 10 years married. Thank you, honey. Appreciate it. <laughs> so now for the rebuttal. <laughs> There's no rebuttal to a Eucharist. Come on, to a Thanksgiving. That's awesome. Yes, and just to see how God has just, you know, throughout it all, just been. I've learned a lot about God actually from just being in the relationship. Just again, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, the patience. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. I could write a, a book about it. Maybe I will. Maybe you will. Maybe I will. Maybe you'll write about this trip. <laughs> Maybe. So when was the last time you guys got away without kids for a number of days? Our honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've, been, we've had, you know, like trips where, like, I go somewhere, so I don't have the kids right, right. for a number of days, but, and vice versa. But So you've yeah. kind of halfway gone away without the kids. <laughs> right, right, right. But it's never been for this long. Yeah. So how many, how many days total? It'll be six? Ten, 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 ten? days. Oh, ten, my Two gosh. weeks. Almost two weeks, yeah. <laughs> wow. So very thankful. All right. But we love our kids. Don't give, don't take this yeah, right no, away. No. <laughs> so uh, another element of, of gratitude yes. you may want to include in there is uh, grandparents. It, absolutely. <laughs> so and whose that, parents is it? Who are staying? It's my, it'd be yeah. my parents. Wow. But actually her parents took our dog too. Okay. So, so it's, it's, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 there's a team. Yep. Yeah. A team a effort. Team so definitely just, wow. I guess, yeah, I'm just, I'm thankful for the relationships that they're allowing us to do that. that the relationship that's got us to 10 years, 16, 10 years. And you've been at your church for how long? This one only two, the year one before. And they're letting nine. you go away for 12 days, 10 to 12 yeah. days? Wow. Yes, and yes, that's a gift too, to be able to have quality people wow. in place. To So much to be grateful for. Definitely. Yeah, it so keeps much. getting bigger and bigger. It does. I didn't even begin thinking all of these, yeah. but yes. 
That's cool. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for letting me express this. Giving me an avenue to share my gratitude. So, I, I mean, I've, I've worked with churches that would not let you go away for two consecutive Sundays. You know, so, or if it was, you'd be gone for like eight days. Right. You know, you got to be back on that second. You're right on that second. That's, that's nice. It is. It's gracious. It I think is. maybe they, you know, they know our track record of every 10 years we'll take a vacation. <laughs> so they'll let They're us. Like, okay. 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 We're, we're, we're good. They'll be ready right. for the next church conference. Yeah. That's right. Let me take just a second here to thank you, our listeners, for checking out the podcast and for your words of encouragement and support. I know what you're probably thinking about right now. You're thinking, this podcast is all right, not bad, not bad. And maybe you're also thinking, I wonder how this podcast could possibly get any better. Well, first of all, thank you for thinking that. And secondly, oh, it can. You see, we're just learning. We're just getting started. And one thing that we've learned so far is that we need to upgrade our tech, our sound equipment, and pretty much everything else. We're also learning putting this show together takes a little bit of scratch, if you know what I mean. A few sticks of cheddar. Uh, Money. I'm, I'm talking about money. And this is where you come in. If this podcast is something that you enjoy, something you'd like to see continue, something you'd like to see get better and better, would you please consider donating a little something something? If you're interested, you can find us at www.themissionplace.org slash all that's holy blue collar. Look for the donate button at the bottom of the page. We happen to fall under the auspices of The Mission Place, which is a 501c3 organization that is like a network of guides and teachers for developing gifts for service, a partner for those who are called to service within the church, and basically a resource for those who love the church. Through partnerships with multiple organizations, institutions, and churches, the Mission Place brings together gifted individuals to work together for specific projects. Now, all of your donations to help the podcast are tax-deductible for this reason, and any extra we receive that does not go directly to the show will be given to the Mission Place and its good cause. There will be further avenues to help us with the podcast coming in the future, like maybe a Patreon page, for example. But in the meantime, we want to thank you again for listening and considering donating to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Go.
Fantasy football is one of the most amazing things that, that grown men can play with. I put away my G.I. Joes a long time ago, my Tonka trucks, but fantasy football is important. It's important for adults to have something to play with. And most of us can't play with toys anymore. Uh, they've been taken away, they've been broken, they've been put up in the attic. Uh, we don't play in the sandbox because then our wives get upset when we bring sand into the house. So we've got to find something to play with. Amen. And fantasy football is one of those things. The, tr the struggle with fantasy football is making sure that you are prepared when it's time to begin the draft. So you need to be aware of arrest warrants, arrest records, uh, who is outstanding, who's not gone to court. So, Because those players, those athletes, they may begin a season, but they may get pulled out uh, for any kind of crime they've committed. So make sure to check all the different state repositories for criminal behavior, and don't pick up those athletes. Oh, my word. And that's time. Good job. All right, my rebuttal. I don't know how I'm going to rebut this. Uh, let's see. I can begin. Let me set the timer here. <laughs> I had no idea I was going to say that. It just kind of came out that way. <laughs> okay, well, here's my rebuttal. So, because I had no clue where you're going with this, I guess the first thing I'm going to have to say is generalizations are not good. Making blanket statements about football players. Yes, some are more violent than others. Doesn't mean they're criminal. In fact, I've... I've seen the research on this. Proportionately, percentage-wise, there is less crime in the NFL, percentage-wise, than there is in the population as a whole. So don't worry about these criminal arrest records. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's my rebuttal. All right, go ahead. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, let, me, let me get this over here. Make sure to introduce her. This is a new voice. This is a new voice for the podcast. You may recognize her because she's helped out with some of the introduction material. This is Lisa Stoffer. She's going to speak on fantasy football and her thoughts. Ready? Begin. My thirty-second rebuttal. Fantasy football is stupid. It's a colossal waste of time. It tears families apart. Tears families apart. Because I hate it and Cody loves it. <laughs> We've played it together. I hate it. It brings no good thing. No good thing. And it sucks. <laughs> You've won championships at it. it still sucks. Wow. You're a humble champion. Here's, here's why it sucks. The first year that <laughs> we did fantasy. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I got to go on on this. The first year that Cody suckered me into doing suckered. fantasy football. Ooh. There was no sucker. You there wanted to do it. There was a suckering. There's... Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, well, Anyways, well, well. let me finish. Let Go me ahead. finish. We're in overtime. I, I studied. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going into OT right here. I studied stats. I studied players and positions. I finally learned what the line of scrimmage was. I did all this stuff, right? Picked my team. Had an excellent team when I drafted. I won the championship. The next year, I'm like, yeah, I want to do this again because I want to win again. And I said something like, oh, I want this quarterback. Oh, he retired. Okay, I want this running back. He's injured. I want this, you know, tight end, whatever. Uh, he's in jail. I didn't check <laughs> arrest warrants. Everything had changed in the off season, and it was just too much so okay, effort what, to put into all of that. Two, two words for you. Two words. Depth chart. <laughs> Learn it. But see, I want you to notice she was into it. She was into it. See, she liked it. She enjoyed it. She wanted to win again. 
And I didn't suck her. I want to be clear on this. I did not suck her into it. She wanted to do it because she thought it was something we could do together. She wanted to. I'll be honest. It wasn't that I thought we could do it together. Like, oh, we'll do a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. Because we were still dating at the time. I was like, hey, maybe he'll like me if I get to know football. (laughs) And? Here we are. Exactly. And now I... Ten years... Well, ten year married and... 16 so years dating. December we'll have been together 16, 16 years. years. Wow. See? I feel like... It was worth it. I can now say that I hate football. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hate... Whoa, that went from fantasy <laughs> football <laughs> to football. <laughs> you hate football too? It's it's okay. Why? This right. trip has right. been... A, we don't need to listen to her. This, is, this <laughs> is a trip of revelations for me. We'll see if this marriage can survive the... 10 year anniversary vacation that we have planned. 